Good morning. It's so good to be back with you. I was out of town last week and I felt it. I felt the absence of your presence. So I'm so excited to be back with you this morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Chad Lowe. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I'm so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. If you do me a favor, if you're new, would you please fill out that Connect card? We'd love to get to know you and pray with you. I also want to wish all of you fathers happy Father's Day. Thank you so much for, for fathering your families and your, and your children. Um, I do want you to know, though, that today's message, even though it's Father's Day, is not a Father's Day message. Um, we're preaching on anxiety not just for dads. And so, um, so I want you to know that we're actually wrapping up a series um, called Weapons of Self-Destruction, where we've been taking a look at habits, at these weapons that are harming our lives from having true life, from having freedom in Jesus Christ. And so today we are wrapping that up by looking at anxiety. And so this is for all of us. This is for every single one of us as we look at the topic of anxiety and address that today. Um, we are going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. If you'd open up your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 4 through 12 today. And one of the things that we do at TVC is we stand for the reading of God's Word. So if you would stand with me and we will read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 12. If you are with me, say amen. amen. All right, and if you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word needy. We come to your word needing your grace. Lord, as we talk about this issue of anxiety, Lord, I pray that your grace would rest upon us. I pray that our eyes would see your goodness, that our ears would receive your word, that our hearts would be churned towards you, and that we would lovingly respond to your word. Lord, I pray that we would find peace, peace that truly surpasses understanding. Lord, I pray as I preach, as we communicate your word, that it be your, you who's speaking through me. Let your spirit move. Lord, if it's me, please stop me, silence me. Lord, let whatever I say that's of me be forgotten. And let whatever is said of you, whatever you are doing, Lord, let it not be forgotten. Let us not be able to rest until we rest in your peace. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and redeemer. I pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So you might assume, maybe, that when a pastor has to prepare to preach a passage or preach a, a, a topic like anxiety, that there are going to be ample circumstances in the week to practice peace and patience, right? You'd imagine that there'd be ample opportunities of anxiety in your life. And for sure enough, that's what happened. Um, 
And so what's interesting is, is knowing that this was going to be coming, that anxiety was going to be what I was preaching on, um, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to try to be aware of all the things that are going to make me anxious. And so as things would come, I'd be like, no, I'm okay. Everything's fine. Everything's good. I'm good. Not anxious. I'm not anxious. I'm not anxious. <laughs> and, um, and I was realizing that, that our enemy, the devil, is very uh, crafty. And so I was seeing that as I was studying more on anxiety, how pervasive anxiety is in my life. And not just in my life, in all of our lives. Anxiety is obviously a rising issue in our world. Globally, we have more uh, diagnosed anxious people than ever before. We have more people being medicated for anxiety, seeking counsel for anxiety. We have more talks and seminars on anxiety and self-help on anxiety than ever before. Anxiety is a pervasive issue. And I want to say before I begin that some of you may be wrestling with, with clinical anxiety. You might be here today experiencing depression or PTSD or OCD or other forms of anxiety, and you may be seeking counsel or help, and we completely support and endorse that. We completely support counsel. We completely support getting help that you need for, for these issues in your life. We believe that that is a good thing, and as the church, we want to support you in that. And so if you're needing help, please, please, we want to help you. And so as we go, but we also stand firm knowing that our source of peace, our source, the antidote to anxiety is found in Scripture. And we believe that the help helps us get there, but Scripture is where we find true, lasting peace. And so I feel like as I start, I need to be honest with you. And so this is something I'm going to share with you. If you don't mind, I'm going to be a little vulnerable. Are you cool with that? You okay with that? Okay. So I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you. This is something I don't share with many people, but depression is something that I've actually dealt with for years. It's something that I've wrestled with, that I've had to, to deal with. I've sought counsel for it. Um, but more palpably in the last two and a half, three years, it's something that I dealt with. Um, and it's interesting as a pastor dealing with, with depression, with anxiety, with mental health issues, right? Because as a pastor, you're like, well, you're supposed to be the spiritual one, so why are you dealing with this? But what we see in Scripture is that there's actually many people who've dealt with depression or anxiety or mental health issues. And even Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, for the majority of his ministry life, wrestled with depression. And so about three years ago, two and a half years ago, um, I was working with Wheaton Bible Church, and um, I was almost crippled with these, these thoughts of self-harm and, and suicide and, and all these things, just feeling unworthy and worthless. And I want you to know that there is hope in the gospel. That there is hope, there is freedom, there is power in the truths of Scripture. And so today I'm excited to share with you. So if you're hurting like I have been, there is hope. And that's what we get to look at. And so today we're going to look at what anxiety is and what Paul has to say about it and the, the practices, the antidote that he gives us in, in the Word of God to fight anxiety. So let's start by looking at what anxiety is. So I have a definition for you. Anxiety is a feeling of worry, of nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Many of you go, yeah, I know what anxiety is. I feel it, especially whenever I drive. But, um, but anxiety is this feeling, this sense of worry. And a lot of times it's the fear, worry, and anxiety sometimes are used synonymously, and a lot of them have similarities, and they ebb and flow kind of between each other. But there are differences. There are differences between fear, anxiety, and worry, and anxiety leads to, to, to worry, this kind of obsessive uh, 
overwhelming fear of the unknown, of what's going to happen. And so as I was reading, as I was saying this week, there's a counselor named Ed Welsh who, who wrote on fear and anxiety in a book called Running Scared who actually wrote this, and I thought it was a, help, a helpful clarification on, on fear and anxiety. It says, to deeply understand fear, we must also look to ourselves and the way we interpret situations. Those scary objects can reveal what we cherish. They point out our, unstable, our, our insatiable quest for control our sense of aloneness, even the vocabulary of fear indicates that the problem can seem deeper than a real objective danger. While fear refers to the experience when a car races towards us and we just barely escape, anxiety or worry is the lingering sense after the car has passed that life is fragile and we are always vulnerable. That life is fragile and that we are always vulnerable. And so all of us feel, all of us wrestle with anxiety in some way, shape, or form. If you love anything or anyone, you have felt anxiety. You have felt anxiety over that person or over that thing. All of us wrestle with anxiety. Some of you are sitting here like, I am soaked in anxiety right now. So we have to see that when Paul in his word in Philippians 4 tells us, gives us an imperative, a command, do not be anxious, seems interesting. Can I just turn off my anxiety? Can I just flip the switch and just stop? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I, you're right, I was wrong. I, I'm, just, I'm not going to be anxious anymore. Okay, I'm good. We're good. It can, is it that simple? And I know that in times, I have read passages of Scripture where it says, don't be anxious, and I have been frustrated. Because I'm like, I don't want to be anxious. <laughs> and it feels like, well, Paul, who are you to tell me not to be anxious, Right? And I want us to look at Paul before we step into what he's saying and see where he's coming from when he says this. When Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he was sitting in prison. When he was sitting there, he was facing imminent death. He died two years after penning this letter. Paul had been beaten for his faith. He had been tortured for his faith. He had been mistreated for his faith. And he's sitting in prison writing, Do not be anxious. Hmm. Okay, that's a little bit harsher than my life. <laughs> you get this one, Paul. This one's yours. <laughs> and we see that when he's writing to the church at Philippi, he's writing to young believers who are facing opposition for their faith. He's saying, do not be anxious. So how is it? How is it that Paul, facing circumstances that many of us will never face in our life, how is it that he could say, don't be anxious? And more than that, he has the audacity to say that he has learned in all things to find true peace, to find contentment. How is it that he, in light of overwhelming circumstances, has done that? That's what we're going to look at today. So today we're going to look at three marks of this antidote to anxiety. We're going to look at what Paul says, and it's through praise, through pondering, and through practice. Through praise, through pondering, through practice. I'm a preacher. I like P's in, in alliteration, but through, yeah, Will gets me. Um, through praise, through pondering, and through practice. So first, let's look at praise. Paul says in, in verse 4, Rejoice always in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. He says it twice. It's that important. Rejoice always. What's interesting about the word always, in Greek, it means always. And so at every turn, at every point, and you might think, yeah, but okay, but what about yes, then too? Oh, okay, okay, but okay, but what about when this person does yes, then too? 
What about if I lose? Yes, rejoice always. What if I suffer? Yes, then too. But what if I don't? Yeah, always. What's interesting about rejoicing always is we don't always feel like rejoicing, am I right? But what Paul, I think it's important to understand is that what Paul isn't saying is that he isn't saying fake it. He isn't saying just smile and be happy. Don't anyone know how you're feeling inside? Because Christians are supposed to be happy and polished and put together. He's not saying put a smile on. But he's also not saying celebrate wickedness. Sometimes we can overlook wickedness and we say, yeah, well, bad things happen, but, you know, God's in control. So this thing is okay. It's permissible. No, no, no. We actually don't celebrate wickedness. We don't celebrate evil. We don't celebrate sin. We don't celebrate bad things, and neither does God. God doesn't celebrate the pain in your life. He uses it, absolutely, but he doesn't celebrate it. And we don't celebrate pain. We don't celebrate wickedness. We don't celebrate sin. So what Paul isn't saying in rejoicing is pretending that bad things are good. The beauty is in rejoicing, we get to be honest about what things really are. In rejoicing, we actually get to find truly the fullness of emotion. Because joy, the joy, the, the ability to rejoice comes out of joy. And joy is this wonderful thing. It's above just mere feeling. Because joy actually shapes, it actually moves and motivates our feelings. You see, you can be experiencing sorrow and still have joy. You cannot be happy and still have joy. You and I can experience pain and still have joy. And joy actually allows us to grieve. Joy allows us to feel sad. Joy allows us to experience pain. But joy is also a choice. It's a choice to say that despite these overwhelming circumstances, God is still good. Despite my circumstances, despite this moment right now, I am choosing to rejoice because I know that God is bigger than my circumstances. God is bigger than my depression. He's bigger than my anxiety. He's bigger than my fear. He's bigger than my worry. He's bigger than my pain. And for that, I rejoice. I may not feel it right now, but he is there. And we rejoice. What's interesting is the next thing it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And some translation says reasonableness. And actually, this is where the NIV gets it right. Um, it's gentleness is, is the right translation here. And it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. What's interesting is in the midst of anxiety, uh, I don't really feel gentle. Like, if someone cuts you off on the road, usually you aren't like, it's okay. Go ahead, buddy. It's fine. I got it. You're, you're good. When you're feeling stressed out at work and the workload is just piled on and a coworker says, hey, can you do this? Gentleness might not be the emotion that you're feeling. That might not be the stirring in your heart. <laughs> the mom who has to get the kids to and from school, practice, grocery shop, figure out how to get food on the table, do laundry, pay the bills, do everything. Gentleness might not be her MO. But yet it says that let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness comes out of deep joy. Gentleness comes out of the ability that despite the anxieties of life, I am choosing to experience joy because I know that God is greater. And we're able to actually exude gentleness. 
But not only that, we see that when he says just a little bit further, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. With thanksgiving. This is so foreign to us. Rarely do we thank the person before we get the gift, right? Rarely do we go, thank you, and then receive, right? We usually wait. But, but what Paul is saying is that we have to thank the gift giver before receiving the gift. And, and this is a genuine thank, thankfulness. This isn't like an ingenuine. Like, I think when I was a kid, I love you, Grandma, but Grandma would give us the gift that I really didn't want. It's like, I'm looking for the new toy, but I get socks. And Mom says, go over and say thank you. And I'm like, thanks for the gift. I love it. I'm going to wear them all the time. You know, I may have said thankful, thank you, but it wasn't really from the overflow of my heart. <laughs> what Paul is saying that this thankfulness actually is an overflow. We are genuinely thankful. We're genuinely thankful. But here's what's wild. It says don't be anxious, but in every situation, whether you're anxious, whether you're feeling worry, present your cares, present your concerns, present your requests to God with thanksgiving. This means that we get to go to God and say, I don't know how it's going to turn out for me, but I, I am thankful. I don't know what my tomorrow is going to be, but I am thankful. I have no idea how we're going to get through this, but I am thankful. We get to praise the Lord to fight our anxiety. We get to praise God out of a thankful, rejoicing heart. And we experience peace. What's interesting, though, is that Paul is addressing the heart here because we all have a heart issue. He's telling us to rejoice. He's telling us to be thankful because we don't and we aren't. And it comes out of an overflow of a heart that isn't thankful, that isn't rejoicing. And it's because constantly we are looking to lesser things to find our satisfaction, our significance, and our security. And when those lesser things, whether it's a person, a job, a relationship, when those lesser things don't measure up and they don't provide us the security we thought they would. It doesn't provide us the significance we expected or the satisfaction that we had hoped for. We worry. We fear. We get anxious. And we go right to the next thing that will appease our feeble hearts. We seek to the next dose of something that will somehow give us a feeling of significance of satisfaction and security. In the darkest moments of my depression, it was those lies that you're insignificant and you're letting down the people that you love the most. It's the lies that say, hey, nothing in this world is going to satisfy you. But this might. Nothing in this world is going to satisfy you, but maybe, maybe that will. And it pulls us away from trusting and rejoicing in the Lord. That despite my circumstances, despite how I feel, I can praise God. Despite how I feel about my life, despite how I feel about what's happening, I can rejoice. And so we have a heart problem. So now we see that the first method, the first mark, the first means to this antidote for anxiety is praise. Let's look at the second one. The second one is to ponder. So we see at the very end of verse 8, he says, think about such things. He goes through the whole list, and we're going to go through that in just a second. But he says, think about such things. What I find interesting is that Christians are called to think. Oftentimes, 
I hear that, you know, Christians are supposed to have faith and faith is somehow blind and we just turn off our minds to then have faith, right? We just, we just need to step into the unknown and not really think about it. But that's actually false. As Christians, we are called to think. We are called to reason. We are called to process, to ponder, to go deeply into the realities of who God is, who we are, and what this life is all about. We are called to think. You know what's really interesting is that it's actually non-believers who shut off their brain in this specific category. Because guess what? When you experience pain, what category do you have to put it in if there is no God? If life is meaningless and at the end is finite, then who cares? Who cares if you're suffering or feeling pain? Go do whatever you want because there is no God. If God isn't real, then why are you so worried? It's all going to end up meaningless anyway. But Paul is saying, think. Because that's not the truth. Think. Think about who God is. Think about who you are and who he says you are. Think about your life. Think about reality. Think about what is real. Ponder those things and you find peace. Why? Because God is greater than our fears. God is greater than our anxieties. God is greater than our worry. And what's interesting is not only do we see that non-believers don't think, but a lot of times distract. And we are guilty of this too. As believers, we do this as well. Because when life is just difficult and our circumstances are bleak, it's a lot easier to binge watch something. Right? Man, the Great British Baking Show is so fascinating when I have so many problems. And we also drown out the noise with whatever. It might be music, a podcast, something. Sometimes we also try to alleviate the pain by seeking other means. Maybe that's overindulging in drinking or drugs. Because, you know what, I feel better. I feel calm. I need to get the edge off. I just feel, work's been so hard today, so I just, I need that stiff drink. I need that, I need that thing that's going to get me over the top. I, I need to feel, you know what, I, I become more honest when, when I use those things, so... You know, maybe that's good. And we look for peace and fake means, or we look for silence. We look to avoid the real issues. We look to not answer the questions of who God is and who we are and what our purpose in life is. Because you know what? Sometimes those are terrifying and hard. And so we look to other things to numb, to distract, to avoid actually embracing the real big questions in life. But, we see that Paul is saying that we have a mind problem, a thinking problem. We are called to think because we are so quick to turn to other things. I, I, again, I'm, my grandma, I love her because I think this is something she said. If not, I got it from someone else. But um, she used to say like garbage in, garbage out. And my, my grandma used to love to cook. So usually it was like good food is good for you and stuff like that. But it's also what we consume, right? And so when we have a thinking problem, we're often saturating our thoughts and things that are actually hurting us. We are saturating our thoughts in worthless things. When we are soaking in violence, when we're soaking in things that are wrong, when we're soaking in evil, it's amazing how much we worry. <laughs> What's amazing that I find is now, there are so many shows or movies that have anti-heroes as the, as the person that we are supposed to look after, right? Villains who we're supposed to like cheer on in their evil. It's so interesting. And yet we consume this, we consume with our minds, with our, with our eyes, all of this, this violence, all of this wickedness, and we wonder why we feel tense. 
We wonder why we feel uneasy. You know, watch the news and it's, it sounds like someone's going to be standing outside your, uh, your house tomorrow morning waiting to kill you. Like, it just feels like it is. Or we're going to have like a hurricane somehow in Chicago and everyone's going to die. Like, you just never know. Um, we all survived the polar vortex, but man, that was just, that was a miracle, you know? So there's so many things that we just saturate our minds and we, we sit in. The things we listen to and what we watch, we're consuming garbage and we wonder why we're uneasy. Because we aren't actually resting in truth. We aren't actually saturating our mind with what's true. And this is, um, A.W. Tozer actually talks about this. A.W. Tozer, um, phenomenal thought and, and theologian. And so he says this about our inability to think or our saturation with the wrong things. He says, the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This she has done not deliberately, but little by little and without her knowledge. And her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A whole new philosophy of Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in our religious thinking. So Paul like A.W. Tozer here, is saying, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right or just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, dwell on, ponder, think about these things. What's interesting about this list is it describes the character of God. We're looking at the true realities of who God is. We're looking at the true realities of what Scripture says about us. And so we get to saturate our minds, our hearts. We consume this over and over. And it protects us from the lies. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these Things. You know what's interesting is the fact that we see that Paul says that we have a heart problem just a moment ago. Now we see we have a mind problem. In verse 7, he says, When we cast our prayers, our concerns to the Lord, he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's interesting because the word guard here is a, a word used to describe a, a military fortress being protected by battalions of soldiers. So the word guard is only ever used in a military term. And so it's to, it's to symbolize that there is something worthy of protection. And so there are battalions guarded around this. And so what he's saying is that the peace of God, which surpasses, which transcends all of our understanding, is being guarded against the attack of the enemy. Our hearts and our minds are being guarded when we cast our cares and our concerns to him. And when we focus on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. See, what's interesting is Paul doesn't say you are going to be removed from your circumstances. He doesn't say that the enemy isn't going to attack. He doesn't say that you are going to feel better right now. But he says that you will have peace that surpasses all understanding. And it will guard you. It will guard you. And if any of you have seen this before, it doesn't make sense when someone who loses so much, but they're not broken down. 
when someone who loses so much, but they're not ended, and there's peace. Why? How? It's peace that transcends understanding, and it guards our hearts and our minds in Jesus. So we see first that the mark is to rejoice, to praise. And we see second that it's to ponder, to think deeply about who God is and think about the right things, not wrong things, to saturate our mind in what is good. But last we see that he says to practice. So in verse 9 he says, whatever you, have heard, whatever you have learned or received or heard in me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So he's telling these Philipp- this Philippian church to practice the very things that he is doing. Now, this is a bold statement. I don't know if any of you, um, I'd be hesitant to say this in my Christian life, where it's like, hey, if you're looking for what to do correctly, just look at me. Just do what I do, right? I'm more of like, I'm a bad example. Look to someone else. Look to Jesus because I'm messing this thing up all the time. But Paul is saying, imitate me. If you, if you have any questions about what it looks like to have peace in the midst of overwhelming circumstances, look at how I have rejoiced in the Lord. Look at how I have prayed with thanksgiving. Look at how I have pondered the deep things of God and focus on what is true, what is lovely, and what is good. Watch and do as I do. And this practicing is a pursuit. It's a pursuit of the Lord. Why would we practice this? It all sounds good, but it's actually a pursuit of the Lord in love. I think about this, we see this in dating all the time, right? And this happened when, when Jayla and I were dating, is, or before we were dating, we got to know each other. And as I got to know her, as I got to understand her, I fell more and more in love with her. And so we went on more and more dates and I got to know more and more of her. I got to see sides of her that I had never seen before. I got to see her heart. I got to see what she liked and didn't like. I got to make mistakes. I got to wrongly uh, assert different things. And I got to see my beautiful wife. And I fell in love as I knew more, as I practiced and pondered what this all meant. And so we get to do the very same thing, but even more so with the Lord. We get to, uh, that was the wrong way to say it. We get to search him out. We get to seek him. And we get to practice in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our anxiety, what it looks like to rejoice. We get to drown out the false noise and we get to focus on what is true. We get to think deeply, God, who are you? And what does this mean for me? And we find peace. The peace of God will be with you. You know what? What's interesting about this whole thing as we've seen is that the praising, the pondering, and the practicing, you could leave thinking that this is just a list, a checklist of things for you to do. You could think, wow, Chad, that's great. Now I know how to fight anxiety. I'm just, I'm just going to go. I'm going to praise. I'm, I'm going to ponder. Oh, I'm going to ponder. I'm going to ponder hard. And then I'm just going to practice. And this is going to be great. And anxiety is just, I'm never going to have a problem with anxiety anymore. Like, that's awesome. No, that's not actually how this goes. <laughs> you see, we're missing the key thing, and I've purposely held it out to the very end. Because you could falsely assert that you have what it takes to fix your problem. But you and I are the problem. And we can't fix it ourselves. You and I are the problem. And so we have to rest on someone greater. We have to rest on something bigger and better than us. And so the fourth thing, there's actually a fourth, the fourth is presence. 
You see, this is actually Paul's whole assertion here. See, as I'm reading this over, see that the presence of the Lord is where we find our source of peace. It's not in our praising, but in God's presence. It's not in our pondering, but God's presence. It's not in our pursuit, but the Lord's that we find peace. So we see again, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, period. The Lord is near, period. The Lord is near both now in this very moment and he is coming soon. The Lord is near. Therefore, don't be anxious about anything. Why? Because the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray to him with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. And guess what? The peace of God, his presence, which transcends our understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. In who? Christ Jesus. In his presence. And whatever, think on these things. We've already gone through this list. And whatever you've learned or received or heard of me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The whole point is the presence of God. The whole point is trusting that no matter the valley you're going through, no matter the pain you experience, no matter the sorrow, no matter the overwhelming circumstances, no matter the situations you are facing, God is with you. He is the good shepherd walking through the valley of the shadows of death with you. He is the great redeemer. And we found this in the person of Jesus. We can experience peace. We can experience what Hebrew word is shalom. It's a all-encompassing, a resting peace because of Jesus. You see, at the cross, Jesus lost perfect peace so that you and I could experience perfect peace. At the cross, Jesus said, "Why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I would never be forsaken. At the cross, Jesus experienced the totality of our anxiety so that we could experience the totality of his divinity. At the cross, Jesus paid the consequences for our sin, for our fear, for our worry, so that life has new meaning and death has no sting. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to worry about death because there is, there's joy. There is hope and there is life. Death is a full reversal. And so we get to rejoice in Jesus Christ. So does it, doesn't it change the way that you read this passage? You see that Paul is saying, rejoice, rejoice. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm in prison. Praise the Lord. I've been beaten. Hallelujah. Again, we don't praise the bad things. But you see, like, it changes the whole perspective. I'm not anxious because my eternity is secure. I'm not anxious because my God is with me. I'm not anxious because I know that tomorrow and forever, God is King and Lord of Lords and He is over my life. And we find hope in the Word of God. As I was researching, the navigators um, actually put out this list of, of the names of the Lord to pray through for 30 days. And I'm going to close by reading this list to us. This is the, the Lord that we get to ponder. These are the character, characteristics of God that give us peace, that give us hope, that calm our hearts. This is who God is. This is the God we get to pursue and who is with us. God is Jehovah, the great I am. He's Jehovah Machadesh, the God who sanctifies. 
He is infinite. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is good. He is love. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. God is immutable. He is transcendent. God is just. God is holy. He is Jehovah Rafi. He is the God who heals. God is self-sufficient. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. God is merciful. He is sovereign. He is Jehovah Nisi. God is our banner. God is wise. He is faithful. He is wrathful. God is full of grace. He is our comforter. He is El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. He is our Father. He is the head of our church. He is our intercessor. He is Adonai, the Master and Lord. And he is Elohim, for he is our strength and power. This is the God who is with us. Let us rest in the presence of the Lord. And it casts out fear. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you for your word. We praise you that you are with us. Lord, we thank you that in you we can experience the fullness of our emotion. We can experience sadness and sorrow, but Lord, we can have joy. And we can rejoice because nothing in this world will ever separate us from your love, Lord. Nothing in this world will ever separate us from the beauty of what Christ has already accomplished in us. Thank you that it's not up to us. Lord, the more that we pursue, the more that we do, Lord, it's all about what you have done. Lord, you have pursued us. And Lord, we rest in you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for you are worthy. Praise in your name. Amen.